All right, we will now have a reading from God's Word. We're going to be reading from Romans 15, um, and uh, I'll be reading verses 4 through 6. Romans 15, verses 4 through 6. For whatever was written in former former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning, y'all. Thanks for joining us this morning. Those of you out there on Vimeo, Facebook, and on our website, thank you for joining us this morning, I want to remind you that you can connect with us in, in some important ways if you haven't already. Um, first of all, on the Church Center app, if you have not downloaded the Church Center app yet, we would encourage you to do so. If you're new with us, this is one of the primary ways we communicate. Um, you can uh, download it from the App Store from whatever phone that you're using, and, and we push in information you can give um, uh, and access other important information. We would also encourage you to go ahead and text, yeah, buddy. Uh, to this phone number, 618-266-3210, if you haven't done that yet. Uh, That is the quickest and easiest, most efficient way for us to communicate with you once you sign up for our our, our text list. We guarantee we will not abuse the privilege. You'll get maybe one or two texts a week from us, uh, but it will allow us to communicate with you quickly and directly uh, if there is need. Things are developing quickly um, in our region and, uh, and of course, in our nation. Um, just a, a quick, we've got to talk about it a little bit. The, the second wave is here. Um, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. Uh, we're all plugged into this information, and uh, we're all um, watching it closely, uh, but the second wave is a doozy. Um, we are seeing exponential growth in the spread of COVID-19, the virus, uh, is going crazy. We've seen 72% growth nationwide in infections just in the last 14 days. Um, this thing is spreading like nuts. We've also seen a 33% increase in deaths and a 39% increase in hospitalizations, again, just over the last 14 days. Um, the Midwest, sadly, is leading the charge in Illinois. Uh, always the overachiever is, uh, is right there at the head of the list. Uh, Illinois is one of the fastest rising infection spots in the country based on our seven-day uh, rolling average. Um, we are right there at the top. Far from flattening the curve, we are doing the exact opposite. We are flattening the incline. This thing is going up so fast that uh, pretty soon it's just going to be a straight line. Uh, so what does this mean for us? Why am I, why am I bringing this up um, because I just want to remind you, uh, I love you guys and I want you to be safe and, and I'm going to encourage you, let's be careful. Let's um, do our, our part um, here at Trailhead. Of course, we are still allowing people to gather, but we have a 25 person cap on the gathering. Uh, we social distance, everybody's wearing masks um, except me and, and uh, the worship leader while we are leading. Um, we may have to go back to all virtual. It will depend on a number of things, possibly because of state re- restrictions uh, kicking us back down to level two, but honestly, possibly because um, the infection is sp- spreading 
in our region. Um, we have a number of people that couldn't serve this morning because either they've been exposed or they're currently dealing with an infection of COVID-19. So I want to encourage you, let's um, be careful and vigilant. Let's continue to do our part. Um, praise God that uh, most people who get it, it's really a minor thing and uh, that we have seen the death rates actually dropping on this. That's, that's, in, that's great. Um, the ongoing overall danger is the overwhelming of our medical facilities um, and, of course, the stress out uh, long-term effects on, on our medical professionals from having to deal with this month after month after month. We are seeing many of our hospitals in our own region um, moving back into kind of the danger zone of beds available uh, for COVID-19 um, patients. So let's be praying. Let's be praying for each other. Let's be cautious and careful. Let's act in love for one another. And let's be praying for our medical professionals, right? Our doctors, our nurses, those that are on the front lines, those that uh, are dealing every single day uh, with the worst parts of this thing. Um, the reality is this thing's going to get worse before it gets better. I think I've been saying that for, man, I don't know, it feels like 10 years now. Um, but we're still there right? We're still there. It's going to get worse before it gets better. So let's take care of each other. I would encourage you to check on each other, right? In this season, it's very, very easy for people to get isolated. It's very, very easy for people to feel disconnected and unseen. Um, if God puts somebody on your heart, reach out to them, text them, pray for them, and let them know you're praying for them, okay? Uh, if we as a body are, are reaching out and, and caring for one another, uh, the entire body will remain healthier and, and better able to endure the stress of this season. Um, yeah. So we are starting a new sermon series, uh, and uh, we're actually kicking off our Advent series uh, two weeks early. Uh, and this is intentional because I think, I think, I think we can do, I think we could use this, right? Now, I'm usually a bit of a stickler. I'm one of those guys that's like, no Christmas music before Thanksgiving. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like don't start with the Christmas music too early. Um, definitely don't put up your Christmas tree until after Thanksgiving, right? Um, and don't be talking about shopping, right? I hate it when the season of greed swallows our one day of gratitude. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's all about shopping and it's all about uh, focusing on the event and it's all this stuff. All right, here's the deal. We can all use with less chaos. We can all use less greed, um, but we can all do with more Advent. Listen, Advent isn't about shopping. Advent isn't about family. Advent isn't about celebration. Um, Advent isn't about any of that stuff, right? Christmas is about celebrating the birth of Jesus, right? And doing it with family and doing it with community, right? Advent is about waiting, Advent is not Christmas. Advent is the season leading up to that celebration, right? Advent's about waiting. And some of you are like, well, dude, that doesn't sound great, right? We've been waiting. Why do we want to do more waiting? We, that's all we've been doing, right? We waited for the election to come, and now we're waiting for the election drama to be over. We've been waiting for this COVID thing to, to pass, and, and now we're waiting for the second wave to get done, and we're just waiting, right? All right, y'all, listen, Advent is about more than waiting. It's about expectation. It's about longing for something better. Advent is about the kind of waiting that grabs your imagination. 
and awakens your energy, right? It, 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 it fills you with joyful longing. You ever, you ever had uh, that experience, right, where, where you're looking forward to something and it's like almost there and you find yourself distracted at work. You find yourself distracted on your commute. You find yourself distracted when you're doing hard things because the thought of, of maybe it's a loved one coming home that you've been missing. Maybe it's a vacation that you've been planning for for so long and it is just around the corner. Maybe it is this other, but you find yourself just, just suddenly in your daydreams being taken away into this place of yearning and longing. And instead of draining you, what does it do? It energizes you. It fills you with joy, right? It actually gives you greater energy for the task at hand. It actually gives you greater endurance in the momentary suffering. It actually gives you a, a greater sense of anticipation for what is coming. Maybe it's that loved one arriving, the vacation, um, whatever it is. C.S. Lewis had a, a great word for this. He's not the one that created it. He's just the one that introduced me to it. It's the uh, German word sensucht. Uh, sensucht is a, a word that, that means joyful pain, that sense of longing. It, it, if you think about it, what I'm describing is something that, that it, it, it is both an experience of like when the longing it awakens a pain because it's the sense of, of I, I want this and I want it now and I don't have it. But the pain actually increases the joyfulness of the longing, right? It's this, it's this sense of like, I don't have it now, but I will soon have it, right? Yeah, I, I'm not experiencing this moment, but I I will soon, and, and so the, the joy creates a pain, but the pain actually increases the joy. Advent is about the kind of longing that gives us energy. Advent is, is about the kind of, of yearning that lightens our step instead of, instead of creating a headwind, right? It, 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 is, it is what we need right now. So we're starting our Advent series a couple weeks early, right? Advent isn't supposed to start until after Thanksgiving. Um, and we're not going to do this to try to ignore Thanksgiving or to completely bypass it, but simply to expand this season um, where we all need a little bit more hope and, and peace and joy and love. The, the four critical liturgical themes of Advent. So we're going to devote a little bit of time, uh, more time this year, specifically to hope. We're going to take two extra weeks um, and, and talk about hope because I think this is going to be beneficial for us. So we're going to spend three weeks on hope instead of, of one. And we're going to start with a passage that is absolutely uh, not typical for Advent season, right? People don't generally go to Romans 15 during Advent. This is not a typical Advent passage, um, but I think it does speak again powerfully to where we are. Romans 14 and 15, give you the context. Romans 14 and 15 is a passage about dealing with conflict. Paul is writing to the Romans and, and the Roman Christians were a mixed congregation, right? They, they, you had Jews and Gentiles, right? Jewish and non-Jewish people. You had people that were um, from different backgrounds, right? And, and the Romans um, were, were um, uh, proud, in a sense, of, of their civilization, of their military conquests, of their scientific advancements. And they tended to look at the rest of the world as barbarians, Right? When you read through the book of Romans, 
you'll see Paul things like, I'm obligated to both, both um, the, the Jew and the Greek, uh, the, the Gentile and the barbarian, right? He's talking about these, these classes that people create, right? But there's also Jews there, and Jews is also had a way of dividing the world. There were Jews and Gentiles, right? And Gentile was this word. It just meant ethnos. The Greek word is, is ethnos. It meant ethnicities, other ethnicities than Jewish, other nations, and, and it was a bit derogatory, right? There are the Jews, and then there's all the rest of those ethnicities, right? And, and, and so there was a lot of othering taking place, which shouldn't surprise us because every human culture throughout human history has othered. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're the right ones, then there's the others. We're the good ones, then there's the others. We're the ones that are moving toward greater civilization, greater flourishing of life, greater blessing, greater goodness, and then there are the others, right? They, they were othering, right? You had, you had some people in, in, in Romans 14, it digs through. Some people who celebrated certain holy days, right? Whether they were feasts or Sabbath weeks or Sabbath days or things like that. And then you had others that didn't, right? Some who did and, and felt really bound to observe those things. And then some that didn't. Some that ate meat, sacrificed idols, right? They had no problem walking down the back alley behind all the temples where, where the pagan sacrifices were taking place. And, and after those animals were sacrificed, they would drag them out back and they would sell the meat, um, and some people had no problem buying meat sacrificed to idols. And then others that were like, no, you, you can't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Man, that's demonic. That's, that's bad, right? So you had people who, who ate meat sacrificed to idols. You had people who didn't, right? You had uh, Gentile Romans who were proud of their Roman heritage, of their Roman citizenship, of the Roman state. And then you had Jewish Christians who were resented the Roman state, and, and the fact that the Roman state had conquered and subjugated the, the nation of Israel, right? You, you had some people who voted for Trump and some people who voted for Biden. All right, not really, right? I might be mixing uh, up a little bit the chronology, but what I want you to see is this. Our time's not unique. The specificity of our time is. The unique things, right? The, the election of 2020, the pandemic, the, the, the extreme polarization that, that we're experiencing in our culture. Those things are, are our time, our unique experience, right? But while our issues are different from theirs, they were feeling the same heart of conflict with the people who differed from them. They faced the same, temp same temptation that we faced, which is to other people. You're not safe. You don't agree with me. You're wrong, which makes you dangerous, right? You, you, you don't see the world like I see it, and that makes me feel threatened. And I judge you, and I look down on you, because I don't think you're moral, and I don't think you're right, and I think you're going to destroy good things, and I think we're right, and we're moral, and, and we're good. Listen, the, the details of the conflict may be different, but the solution is the same. Paul writes Romans 14 and 15 to reach out to them and say, look, y'all, you need to stop fighting to win. And you need to start fighting to love. Because you're not going to win by winning. You're going to lose. <laughs> right? You're fighting the wrong battle on the wrong hill. You're identifying the wrong enemies. Right? You need to stop that. You need to fight to love. Stop, stop putting your hope in the wrong things. Stop looking to the wrong things, thinking they're going to deliver you into the fullness of life because they're not, right? Stop placing your hope 
in the wrong place, right? Partisan politics, competing economic theories, vain and flawed um, rulers. Instead, anchor your hope in the true king, the one who doesn't change, right? Anchor your hope in, in his kingdom, right? Anchor your hope in this king who was born into the world to redeem and restore it. The one who broke into this broken worldly system of, of, of flawed pursuit, trying to find the fullness of God apart from the God who gives it, and, and restores us to the God who actually gives the fullness of life. Anchor your hope in the proper place. So when we get to Romans 15, Romans 15 is kind of the summary, right? And he's transitioning into the application. So Romans 14 uh, is a description of the conflict and, and an appeal to love over victory, right? Stop judging, start loving, right? And, and in Romans 15, um, I just want to, I want to just run quickly through these verses and then focus on some key concepts, okay? So, so starting in Romans 15, verse 1, I'm just going to walk through this so that we can kind of get a feel for, for Paul's argument here. In 15.1, he says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So in Romans 14, he classifies strong believers and, and weak believers. And he means by that those who have a strong conscience that allows them to partake in things that people with a weak conscience can't partake in. Those who are strong tend to despise those that are weak. Those that are weak tend to judge those that are strong. Um, there's a, and here's the thing. When you read through Romans 14, you, you discover we're all strong and we're all weak in different areas, right? There's, there's no such thing as a complete classification of strong believers and weak believers, right? Some of us are strong in conscience in some areas, and some of us are weak in conscience in other areas, and we're all tempted to look down on others who don't have the freedoms we have, and we're all tempted to judge others who seem to have freedoms that we don't think we should have right? And so what's interesting is that in Romans 15, there's no appeal to the weak. He just says, hey, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weak. And I think there's a reason for this. I think because the reality is none of us come to the table identifying ourselves as weak. Anytime we're in conflict, we tend to identify ourselves as strong. We're the right ones. We're the ones who see it right. We're the ones who have it right right? So, so Paul kind of universalizes the appeal. He's like, hey, we who are strong, right? Which he knows means everybody in the room is going to be like, okay, yeah, I'm with you, Paul. Uh-huh. Yeah, we who are strong, all right, we have an obligation, y'all, not to be right, not to win, but to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. He goes on, let us please our neighbor for his good to build him up. Think about if that was our driving principle in every political conversation. Not to win, not to be right, but to please my neighbor and build him up. My goal in this conversation is not to defeat you. My goal in this conversation is to love you. And then he goes on and he's like, I know you think I'm crazy, y'all, but I'm going to give you the ultimate example. Verse 3, for Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus didn't show up saying, I'm right, you're wrong. Jesus didn't show up trying to win every argument. Jesus showed up so that your reproaches might fall on him. Some of you are really tempted to gloat right now about different things politically, socially. And uh, some of you are, are really feeling the sting of, of that. 
What if instead of showing up trying to, to prove we are right or celebrate we're right or, or prove that others are wrong even though they think they're right, we again showed up and we said, your reproaches are going to fall on me. I'm going to feel the bite on your behalf. I'm going to love you and I'm going to suffer so that you feel loved. I'm not going to say, do you agree with me? Then I'll love you. I'm going to show up and say, I love you. It doesn't matter if I agree with you. Your reproaches will follow me. Why? Because Christ, the ultimate example, showed up and didn't show up to please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Verse 4, for whatever was written in former days. Now, Paul transitions a little bit. He's like, all right, I'm quoting from the Old Testament scripture, and I want you to see something really important. Whatever was written in former days, whether it is, it is Psalm 69, which he just quoted, or for us, Romans 15, that we're now looking at, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Not because of your political affiliation, not because of who you voted for, not because of where you stand on controversial topics. No, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. So that's the context of this thing. And I believe it's an appeal that is, that is extremely timely for us today, right? Because this is the win, y'all. This is the win. <laughs> this is the win. Not, not us being part of the right political party. Not us being, right of, being part of the right, right social agenda, right? We were not called to be part of this worldly system and defeat other parts of this worldly system. We were called to be uh, in the world, but not of the world. We were called to be a people called out and apart in our culture, but not of our culture. We were called to be people of the kingdom in this place we call the world. And we do that by being driven by the principles of the kingdom, which there is no greater principle in the kingdom of God than love. That is the primary purpose of our existence, and it is the calling of our, of our commission, right? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets, right? Be disciples who make disciples. Be those who drink deeply at this fountain of grace, and then lead others to drink deeply at this fountain of grace. All right, so in the context of this passage, there are three critical words that I want us to focus on. Um, those three critical words uh, were found in verse 4. If you take a look at verse 4 again. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Endurance, encouragement, and hope. These things were written so that we might have hope. Listen, y'all, we need this hope. If we have any, if any, we have any hope of, of, of living together in harmony, of actually fulfilling the purpose of this passage, loving one another instead of competing with one another, and actually finding community instead of affinity, 
like living with people who have different convictions and, 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 and uh, drives than we do, but loving them even though they challenge us and, and, and make us uncomfortable sometimes. If we have any hope of, of fulfilling this passage, we need to make sure we have the right hope, right? Uh, we need this hope if we have any chance of loving one another without being swallowed by conflict. We need this hope if, if we uh, have any chance of, of uh, protecting our personal joy, not just protecting our shared experience of community, but, but our personal joy. We need this hope if we have any chance of, of not buckling under the weight of exhaustion, right? Endurance comes from this hope. Encouragement comes from this hope right? Otherwise, we're going to end up curled up in the fetal position in the corner, filled with self-pity and resentment toward others, right? Paul's not talking about just any hope here. I think that's pretty obvious, but I want to make it clear. When he says that we might have hope, he's not speaking of it in a generic sense, like, like I hope you have hope, right? I hope you don't give way to desperation or, or, or despair. No, he's talking about a specific hope, right? He's not talking about what we would call worldly hopes, right? The hopes that are temporary and, and set in secondary things. He's talking about Advent hope, right? The kind of hope um, that comes from a God who has broken into this world and who will once again break into this world to redeem and restore, right? And this is where we get into trouble. We have a lot of false hopes, right? We have a lot of false hopes. Um, and by false hope, what I mean is, is when we allow secondary hopes to become primary hopes, right? Our life is full of secondary hopes. There's nothing wrong with that. We were created to be hoping beings. I don't know if you've noticed that. You, you can't live without hope, right? Hope is what gets you out of bed in the morning. Hope is what gives you energy to do hard things. Hope is, is what motivates you to, to start new things or accomplish old things. Hope is, is what, what <clears throat> drives you to, to um, stick when you want to run, right? Hope is what gives you energy when you want to collapse. Hope, we are hoping beings. We were created by our creator to, to live. Hope is like the oxygen of the heart and, and, and of the soul, right? It's what, it's what allows us to, to uh, stay up and, and stay strong, right? We were created to hope. We are chronic hopers. The problem is we're also chronically prone to making secondary hopes primary hopes. That, that we, we start putting God weight on creation hopes. In other words, man, when I get this promotion or I get this vacation or I, I finally get this relationship or I, I finally have this experience, then, then I will have the fullness of life. Then I will have peace. Then I will have security. Then I will, I will be uh, um, significant or then I will, right? We, we place our hope on secondary things and look to those secondary things to fulfill ultimate needs. Listen, we're always longing. We're always yearning. And it's our hope that points the longing and the yearning toward its fulfillment. And the longer we live, the, longer we, the more we come to realize the things we hope for are going to disappoint us. All right? I was talking with somebody the other day, and it was made the observation that I think a lot of emotional maturity comes from um, being able to uh, maintain hope in the face of mounting disappointments. Because that's one way of looking at life. 
Because what ends up happening is we realize that the secondary things we hope in often don't get fulfilled, and even when they do, they don't give us what we hoped they would give. We get something, but it's not the ultimate thing. We find a fulfillment, but it's not the fulfillment, right? And so what do we do? We just shift. We just set that, that hope on something else. Okay, that promotion didn't do it. Maybe this one will. That relationship didn't do it. Maybe this one will. That experience didn't do it. Maybe this one will, right? And, and what ends up happening is the more we do that, the more we come to realize that life is a series of progressive disappointments. And what ends up happening is we tend to shut off our hearts or at least try to shut off our hearts. Now, we can't because we're chronic hopers. We were created to continually hope, to continually yearn, but what we try to do is shut down that, that impulse. Why? Because it's painful. Because more and more pain starts coming in and less and less joy. The hoping process itself is, is just itself an experience of, of pain without the joy because the things that we are hoping for never give us what we're actually hoping to receive. And so we become jaded, right? We become cynical and, and we call it maturity, right? Well, yeah, I'm not a kid anymore. I've been around the block a few times. I, I don't, right? We, we, we tend to just kind of excuse our lack of hope as if somehow that were an expression of maturity, Listen, y'all, we don't just need hope. We are desperately in need of the right hope. We are desperately in need of Advent hope. Because Advent hope is the one hope that doesn't disappoint. Let me show you a, a couple of verses from earlier in Romans. This is from Romans chapter 5. Uh, hope is one of those key words that Paul develops over the, over the book of Romans and, uh, and defines its meaning as he goes through. And in Romans 5, you find one of the critical passages for understanding what Paul means when he's, when he's talking about hope. In Romans 5, he says, we rejoice in hope, not specifically in hope itself. Right? There's a lot, of, a lot of hopes out there. And by rejoice, he means boast. Boast, rejoice is, is two different concepts of, of this same Greek word, right? We rejoice in hope. What hope? The hope of the glory of God. And a couple of verses later, he says, hope doesn't put us to shame. In other words, hope doesn't disappoint. It's not, it's not going to, to uh, promise something and not deliver. It's not going to leave you feeling exposed because you thought it would deliver something and then it didn't, right? It's not going to leave you disappointed. Hope doesn't disappoint. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Now, this is unique and challenging because here's the thing. Isn't hope the very thing that disappoints? Can you be disappointed without hope? Like, if you can just shut off your hoper and stop hoping, doesn't that protect you from disappointment? Because if you don't hope, you're not going to be disappointed, right? If you're like, yeah, that, that's not going to come through, and it doesn't come through, you're not disappointed because you already disappointed yourself, right? <laughs> you were pre-disappointed, right? You just kind of set your heart in this place where it's not going to happen, so when it doesn't, you don't experience being put to shame. You don't experience disappointment, and yet... Paul asserts that hope doesn't disappoint. That's interesting because here's the thing. Hope's the very thing that disappoints. What he means is this hope doesn't disappoint. This hope doesn't put us to shame. This hope doesn't let us down. What hope? The hope of the glory of God. Advent. Hope. Advent. Hope. The specific hope that grows from the reality that, that Jesus has come, 
and he is coming again. Jesus broke into this broken world, right? He became human. And in becoming human, he became everything we were intended to be. He lived the life we should have lived, right? He actually bore the Imago Dei, the image of God, um, without any fault. He was man as man was created to be. He was clothed in the glory of God. Now, Romans, when Romans talks about glory, I think we need to be careful because often when we think about glory, we think of bright, shining lights, right? Something that glows, right? Or, or we tend to think of moral perfection, right? But, but that's not the way Paul uses this word at all. He's not talking about bright, glowing lights. He is not talking about moral perfection. He is talking about a job description. When he's talking about glory, he's talking about mankind's responsibility to actually bear the image of God. And when it says we were created in the image of God, it doesn't mean we look like God, right? Because we don't. What it means is that we bear a job description like God's. We are to image God to creation. We are to actually be what we were created to be, stewards of creation, right? To protect what God has given us and expand through creation and, and pull out the potential of creation, just like God did in creating, right? We are unique in that sense in all of creation. Jesus bore the image of God. Jesus was the manifestation of the glory of God, not because he was God. He was that, but because he was man, as man was created to be. He, he was human, as humans were meant to be. He manifests the glory of God because there was never a moment at which he was not bearing this job description of imaging God to all of creation. This is Advent hope. Jesus came and he lived the life we should have lived and then he died the death we deserve to die. Right? He was our substitute on the cross, dying in our place, bearing the weight of our sin, dying under the, under the rejection that we have toward God. He died for our guilt that we might be delivered from our guilt into his glory. Right? It's the great exchange of imputation. Our sin was imputed to him on the cross so that his glory could be imputed to us and we could be covered with the very righteousness of Christ. And once again, have the hope of being what we're created to be, of actually imaging God to one another, imaging God to creation, bearing the glory of God. Not, not again, some glowing thing. It's not, it's not primarily talking about moral perfection. It's talking specifically about actually carrying out the job description of humanity, the glory of God. We have the hope of the glory of God because he has come. And because he is coming again, because we have been redeemed by his first coming, by believing in his death, burial, and resurrection, and because we will be restored in his second coming and actually be, be recreated so that we can, like him fully, bear the image of God without fault or sin, we have hope. We have hope that we can be what we were created to be that we too can manifest the glory of God. This is the hope that never disappoints. This is the hope that never lets us down. You know why? Because it is as sure as Christ is risen. 
Because he is risen, we will be recreated. Because he is risen, we can now grow in, in, in bearing the image of God, knowing that, that one day we will be fully restored into the glory of God. This is the hope that never puts us to shame. Because this hope is grounded in grace. This hope never puts us to shame because this hope is rooted in the resurrection. This hope never puts us to shame because it looks back to his first coming with gratitude and it looks forward to his second coming with yearning. This hope is unshaken by elections. It is unshaken by economics. It is unshaken by political partisanship. It is unshaken by interpersonal conflict. It is unshaken by physical suffering. It is unshaken by the frailties of this world. This hope is as secure as Christ is risen. This is the hope that frees us from our guilt. This is the hope that delivers us from our shame. This is the hope that recenters us on the rock. This is the hope that frees us to love. Now, in the next two weeks, we're going to be taking a look at two critical components of Advent hope, endurance and encouragement. Uh, they both flow from Advent hope. And they actually both introduce us into a deeper, more, more profound experience of Advent hope. But for this morning, I want to leave you with a simple task of asking you to examine your hope. You are chronic hopers. You will be continually anchoring your hope in something. Have you anchored your ultimate hope in secondary things? Have you anchored your hope for security? Have you anchored your hope for flourishing? Have you anchored your hope for significance? Have you anchored your hope uh, for, for approval in things that cannot and will not hold you securely and bring you into the fullness and the flourishing of life? It is, it is good and proper to hope for secondary things. It is not good and proper to make secondary things ultimate things. Where have you anchored your hope? Are you securely anchoring your hope in the Advent hope that he has come and he is coming again? Where are you setting your yearning for freedom, for joy, for security? What are you looking forward to with ultimate anticipation that it's going to deliver you into the fullness of life? If I can just get that, then I'll be good. There are many hopes, but there's only one hope worthy of, of your ultimate hope. And that is that he has come and that he is coming again. Now, I know many of you are chafing under this season. I know many of you are suffering in this season of isolation, social distancing, this ongoing trial that we are sharing together as a culture and a society that is increasing tensions and making everything more volatile. I know many of you are, are really um, suffering. And here's some things that I would encourage you to do to help you process. What does it mean to stay anchored to Advent hope in this specific season? First of all, stop asking when it's going to be over. That's a false hope. Because subtly what you're doing is you're saying, when this is over, then I'll be okay. If we can just get past this pandemic, then I would be okay. What you, you don't need a new set of circumstances. You need a new you in your current set of circumstances. Okay? You stop asking when it's going to be over. You need to stop asking why it's happening because that's above your pay grade. God knows why it's happening. You're not going to. 
right? So stop trying to figure it out. Stop asking why it's happening. Stop asking what God is doing. There may be things God is doing in you and around you, and he'll let you know when you need to know. But you don't need to know to anchor your hope in the right place. Stop asking what God is doing. God's doing what God is doing. You can just trust him to do it, right? Here's what you need to focus on. Let's let's start asking how we can live out our purpose in the midst of this current mess. What's the next step of faith that I need to take, right? How do I, right, what's my purpose? Love Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbors and love myself. What's the next step that's going to help me love God more and love my neighbor more? Let's just take that step, right? Let's leave the big picture to God. Let's stay focused on on, on the hope that, that when I take the next step of love, that's going to introduce me into a deeper, more profound experience of the glory of God. I will actually be imaging God by fulfilling the purpose of my creation, by loving God and loving others, right? What's the next step? of love. What steps can I take to fulfill my commission to be a disciple who makes disciples? Who is God specifically calling me to love? Who is God calling me to disciple, right? Somebody who's far from God to disciple them near to God. Somebody who is a follower of Christ to disciple them into a deeper experience of the grace that is in Christ. Listen, as we focus on simply being faithful, to our purpose, and to our commission. We will be anchoring our hope in in the advent that he has come and that he is coming again. That's the the anchor that lets us withstand the storm. That's what allows us to stay pointed to our true north. That, That is the hope that never disappoints. Because no matter how hard things get, you can always love. Because you've been loved. And the next step of love will take you into a deeper and more profound experience of the glory of God. Because he has come. And he is coming again. Let me close this in word of prayer. And then uh, we will share communion. And then we will continue worshiping in song. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for the gift of grace. We thank you that we have hope because you're a God of love. Because you loved us in spite of our sin. That you loved us exactly as we are and you love us too much to leave us as we are. So you took upon yourself the reproaches that were due us that we might receive the blessings that were your due. Awaken our gratitude for the coming of Christ and awaken our yearning for the fullness of his presence that we might long even as, even as John did at the end of the book of Revelation where he just cried out, come soon, Lord Jesus, come soon that everything in us would ache for your presence knowing that your presence is the fullness of life. Meet us in this time of suffering, Lord, and free us that we might love well. Some of us this morning need to hear how profoundly loved we are. And some of us this morning 
need to see clearly how to exercise that love on behalf of others. Meet us where we are and awaken us to this incredible flow of grace that we might receive it and we might share it. For your glory and for our good, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.